I love you. Which is why I remind us that here is our world and beautiful and terrible things will happen. And so we are asked to try and not be afraid because this is what we are about in our community. We hold hope for each other when hope is hard to find. We plant seeds that will one day grow. They're all in front this morning. And we are prophets of a future that's not our own. We cannot do everything, but we can do a few things. And so you know these words. We forget our perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That is how light gets in. Now, you know those last three lines are Leonard Cohen's lines, who we also, who died this past Thursday night, making this week perhaps even more riven with cracks. And we might even say, like, big chasms. And that's true regardless of who you voted for. Because when we all woke on Wednesday morning, if, if you slept at a hall, we woke to a country that's more divided and it's more polarized, it's more cracked than at any point in our lifetimes. So you might say we stand together in the dark, you and me, here on a beautiful morning. And there's cracks all around us. And we're reaching and hoping to let the light in which I believe actually isn't so much a light that's outside of us as a light that we have inside. You know, but how do, we, how do we stand and let the light in when the dark maybe feels so deep, when the future feels maybe so uncertain, when so much feels at stake? How do we stand steadfast? And that's a word that means immovable, holding firm, solid. And how do we shine? That's the question that I've been asking. And you might be asking it as well. Well, first I want to acknowledge some of what I've been feeling. And I know this probably breaks some seminary preaching class rule about self-disclosure. <laughs> you know, but it feels important for me to name for us anyway, because if I'm not real with you and you're not real with me, we're not real with each other, then we are completely not living up to one expectation of being in church together, which is telling each other no spin room or anything else that we tell each other the truth. And some of the feelings that I've had are anger, fear, I'm tired, and I'm uncertain. Now, I want, as both Secretary Clinton and President Obama expressed with such grace on Wednesday morning, to give our president-elect an open mind as he prepares to lead. 
I want to do that. But I'm angry at the racism and the misogyny and the xenophobia and the homophobia his campaign has provoked. And you heard just a touch of that in Miguel's prayer for us that Heather read. I am afraid at his disregard of climate change and his promises of isolationism, what that will mean for the country that my two children, Emerson and Ella, will inherit and that all the kids in this room will inherit. I'm afraid. I am tired, I am really tired of the ways that we the people talk to and about one another, particularly on social media. And this is true on all sides of the political spectrum, as if the inherent worth and dignity of every person, which is not just a Unitarian Universalism principle, but also an American ideal, only goes as deep as what happens in the ballot box. And lest you think that I'm preaching up here from this pulpit of perfection, I want you to know that I'm preaching to myself here too. Sir, ministers give the sermons we need to hear, don't we, Heather and Otto? And you know, at the last thing that I'm feeling is that I am uncertain about what to say, about finding the right words to, to pray and to preach. And my inbox was filled this week with numerous emails with the subject heading that said, help, exclamation point. And my wanting to act when I got those as if it's that telephone game we played as kids. Yeah, help, pass it on. <laughs> All of these feelings in me. And I was so comforted as I felt them this week by those of you I saw and talked with who came into this room on Wednesday. This room since 1826, I want us to imagine, that has held generations of people all through times of disruption and fracturing in our country. This very room, the Civil War, Lincoln's assassination, World War I and II, the Great Depression, this room, Vietnam, the Cold War, the Gulf War, 2000 election and hanging chads, this room. 9-11, this room. You came. The Iraq War. Newtown, that Sunday, after that Friday, this room. Police shootings of people of color, Black Lives Matter sign, this room. And now this, uh, this presidential election campaign this room, you're, there's so many of you today, you're parking on the lawn, this room. You come, not for perfect words, you come. You reminded me the perfect words are not what's needed now. That instead, when we're reckoning with the great cracks between us and how it is that the voting blocks consider each, consider each other a disaster. And how it is that immigrant people are worried they will be kicked out of the country. 
and how it is the ceiling, the glass ceiling, just feels like it just got a foot thicker. And how it is that so few politicians actually reckoned with the economic alienation outside of our urban and suburban centers. Despite all of that, you showing me as you come on Wednesday, you come today to this room, that perfect words matter much less than imperfect presence. Because all we have to offer, hear this, all we have to offer is enough. Which is what Sue Phillips, a colleague of mine, wrote to all of us clergy this week in mid-sermon to help us encourage us. She said, what you have to offer, Nathan, is enough because every loving, kind, and beautiful thing is amplified now. She said, shine with your presence, she said. So with Sue's words pushing me, I went down to the Dunkin' Donuts down on South Main Street there. And I looked to find Louise, is not his name. He's one of the Brazilian immigrants that does the morning shift at the convenience store, just down the hill. And who I've struck up a friendship with over the years. And I found Louise stacking boxes of Pringles up at the top shelf. Remembering Sue's words that what I have to offer is enough and that every loving, kind, and beautiful thing I do and you do is magnified. I went up to Louise and I put my hand on his back and I said, hey Louise, I just want you to know that I'm with you. I stand with you. And I want you to know, and I pointed up here to this church on the hill, this room that has been a beacon and a foundation and a rock to help us stand steadfast for generations of time. I said to Louise, all those people up on the hill stand with you. And on behalf of my country, Louise, I apologize for the things that have been said. Because every loving, kind, and beautiful thing we do now is amplified. Because what we have to offer is enough. Because letting the light in starts at home. Because even, maybe all I want to do is hunker down and stay in my own little bubble of 01746, the Holliston zip code. My faith, your faith, pushes me up and out. And it asks me to stand fast, to be steadfast. Thank you, Nathan, said Louise. I accept your apology. Now, I actually thought of Louise one week before Election Day on November 1st, and I found myself, along with Heather and Otto, separately, we were driving up to New Hampshire to meet our EU clergy from all over New England for a three-day conference. The theme was speaking truth, living truth, because you deserve clergy who will tell you what we believe and who will show you what we believe with our lives. You deserve that. And who aren't going to apologize for the things that we believe in. 
And the morning I drove up, it was such it was a beautiful morning. As only the way that New England and autumn can be, like today. There was such light cracking through. It's red and yellow and gold cracking through the trees. And it offers such a contrast to the flurry and the fury of the campaign news on NPR, the mood dark, the polls tight, anxiety high. And the news was bad enough that once I got off 495 and began to wend my way up small roads north, that it was then that I began my media fast. <laughs> and I turned on my Pandora station to the acoustic guitar selection, the music that drives my family screaming from the room. <laughs> but that I did not have to apologize for because I was beautifully alone in the little protected bubble of my black Massachusetts Subaru. Now, somewhere across the border, forgetting, of course, that I was now in a battleground state, I began to notice the change. The change being what? The change being there were Trump signs everywhere, on roadsides, posted like across driveways. They were pinned to houses. There were giant banners outside manufacturing buildings, everywhere and barely a Clinton sign to be found. Because this was a clergy treat, of course, a retreat. We're not in a city center. We're out in, in the woods, all of us in cabins like Thoreau, but with heat. <laughs> For once, I want them to send us to like the most amazing Four Seasons Hotel ever. <laughs> but instead, they always send us to the woods. And in ways that no New York Times article has done all year or any Facebook feed, it dawned on me as I crossed that border that something, my friends, is terribly wrong. Because if all I see around my neighborhood are Clinton signs, and all I see when I go to rural New Hampshire are Trump signs, then something is wrong because we're not actually talking to each other. We don't know each other. We're all in our own little bubbles. We're hunkered down. And we're getting our realities affirmed by our neighbors and maybe by our church and maybe by our ministers even. And certainly by our Facebook algorithms that only give us the news that correspond with other things we've clicked on. Standing not so much steadfast as standing with people like us only. A colleague of mine said, less Facebook, more FaceTime. So worried and quiet and pensive, and I was thinking of Louise, and thinking of all of these folks and their signs, and wondering how to acknowledge the divides that I'm noticing, and the economic alienation, and the campaign of scapegoating and race baiting, and feeling small and like I don't have much to stand on, I turn into the outskirts of Greenfield, New Hampshire, the little town that will host us, the Priuses in front of me and behind me like scarlet letters in a sea of New Hampshire pickup trucks, outing all of us, the clergy, 
wondering, what is wrong? And I drive up out of Greenfield to the retreat center on the most beautiful ribbon of road you can imagine. I wish I was on my bicycle. It's just beautiful. It's new pavement and the light is coming through the trees. It's beautiful. And to the right, if you guys remember this, there was a river. It's a strong river. It's white with rapids. And the leaves were sparkling. And there's glistening rocks. And there's a shoulder wide enough for my Subaru. And me still with plenty of time before I had to go learn how to speak the truth and live the truth, I felt called, a word I use intentionally because I believe the world calls us all the time, as Heather said, but sometimes we don't answer the text. And like the song that was written by slaves that we heard earlier, go down by the river, Sarah and some of the choir sang, I felt called to go down to the river. And I went down to the river, opened the Subaru, walked down to the river, and there was a path. And right on the edge, this is the edge, this first pew here. And the water is just like threshing by. Stones everywhere. And I'm at the water and I'm wondering, I'm thinking of my sister, my adopted immigrant sister. What's gonna happen to her in a week? And that she's a citizen, what it feels like to be a person of color in this world. And I'm thinking of Louise. And I'm wondering how can I stand steadfast? Because I feel so small. Do you feel small with me sometimes? Do you feel small? And I go down to the edge. And right over to the left, there is the most, almost like where that pillar is. It's the most amazing boulder you've ever seen. Standing like six feet out of the water. And the water is going around it because that boulder has been there forever. It's standing firm and strong. What's the word? What is it doing? Steadfast. Because the earth reminds us of who we can be. It reminds us of what's possible. And thinking of that song that they sang and looking at that boulder, it's then that I began to pray. Sometimes you wonder with me, what does it mean for us to pray? And what I tell you is that prayer doesn't maybe change things, but it changes people and people change things. And so I closed my eyes and I said, God of our many names and spirit of life, spirit, father spirit and mother spirit, help me to stand steadfast with my wife and my daughter and all women and girls who our president-elect talked about as if they were objects to be used. And I said, help me stand steadfast with Louise 
down at the convenience store and what people might say to him as people come into that store. Do they tell him to go home? Help me stand steadfast with where our coming, where our neighboring face kits are going to go today and the women in hijabs that they will see this afternoon at noon. Help me to stand steadfast with the black teenager in Chicago, a city that is being destroyed by violence. Help me to stand steadfast. Who do you want to be steadfast and stand steadfast with? I want to hear. Stand as you say their name. Who else? Who else? Stand as you say their names. Friends, what we have to offer as we stand together is enough because every beautiful, kind, and wonderful thing you give will be amplified. Never doubt your ability to stand. Never doubt your ability to shine. That is how the light gets in and out.